Last week, uh, in an ongoing speaking from the book of Acts, the second chapter, kind of started from there. And I introduced a couple weeks ago one of my favorite churches that we have a lot of detail about in the Word of God, and that is the church at Ephesus. And last week we spoke specifically about what happened at Ephesus. As you see Ephesus going from this just an epicenter of spirituality to the Lord rebuking Ephesus in Revelation, the second chapter, and saying, you've done some good things, but there's a problem. We talked about that. And I think this week I'm going to title the message, What is a Spiritual Person? What is a Spiritual Person? Because we left off right at Galatians, the sixth chapter, where it says that you that are spiritual restore such a one if there's been an offense or if there's been an issue. So with that backdrop in place of what the early church did, how the early church thrived, continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And then a church like Ephesus where we know what they believed. We know the doctrine that they were given. And we know that they began in continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. But they got off track. Something happened. And as we talked about last week, I'm 99% certain they didn't lose the doctrine because the Lord Jesus Christ commends them for their stand in the doctrine in Revelation, the second chapter. But he says, nevertheless, you have left your first love. Now, you could also probably title this message, Getting Ephesus Back on Track. (laughs) And I'm just going to be very honest with you. One of the reasons that this line of teaching has been on my mind is because, number one, God has blessed us with new faces and new people that have not been exposed to the doctrine as much as some of you that have been here for a while have. So I think it's necessary to go back and and revisit the doctrine. I tell you, we can rejoice in the doctrine. (laughs) And then on top of that, think about how little opportunities that we have had in the last year and a half, two years, where we've lost sight and forgotten the phrase, for the most part, we meet, we eat, we fellowship, we get together. (laughs) We've lost that for whatever reason, valid or invalid. That's just one of those things that's been lost. How many people of you, how many of you have said to me, oh, I can't wait till we get back to eating. I can't wait till we get back to having fellowship. Well, praise God, those doors are opening back up. (laughs) And so therefore, I think it's appropriate for us to revisit the doctrine and to revisit the fellowship and to revisit the breaking of bread and to revisit prayers as that's what the early church did. I certainly appreciate Brother John's prayer this morning and the commendation that he gave you as a church of of what a sweet and special place to come to. There's a price for that, Brother John. There's a price for that. And I'm calling upon every person under the sound of my voice, inside or outside. I'm calling upon you to pay that price. It's worth it. And I don't just mean it's worth it. He's worth it. Christ is worth it. Here's Here's one of the prices that you pay. We talked last week about... What happened at Ephesus, how they got off track, and I don't think there's any question that they continued to pray, they continued to take communion, they continued, they even held trials in their church to to try whether or not this person was an apostle who claimed to be or wasn't. They were, they were thick in the doctrine, but they had become legalistic and pharisaical, and they had lost sight of the fellowship. They'd lost it. Very sad. 
So Jesus said the remedy. He said, remember or else. <laughs> I, I don't like talking like that, but I've had to do it a time or two You know, with my kids. Or, you know, you have too if you have children, you know, clean your room or else. <laughs> Things like that. That's just part of being a parent. Jesus is the ultimate parent, and he can say it purely and with, without any kind of ulterior motive. He says, remember or else. That's what he said to Ephesus. Or it's, there's going to be trouble. Now, what was the problem? They had left their first love. Now, I want you to think about this. And I speak specifically to the married couples, whatever your age may be. We've all heard of situations where marriages get on the rocks, as they say. You know, things are not going like they should. And sadly, we hear about where marriages have broken up and people have parted ways in a sad way. Now, and there is, I'm telling you, there is no marriage that has ever gotten on the rocks or ever broken up in which the spouses, the husband and the wife, sat down after it was all over with, sadly over with. There's no marriage anywhere that anybody has ever sat down and said, you know, we just didn't take out our marriage certificate and look at it each day. If we had just taken out our marriage certificate and just looked over it each day and would have saved our marriage. Are you kidding me? Nobody thinks about that. Whenever a marriage breaks apart or gets on the rocks, it's not because you don't sit down and look at your marriage certificate. It's because you left your first love. It's because you stopped doing the things that should have continued to have been done. And everybody, every married couple gets lost in that. Same thing for the church. You forget what you used to do. You forget how to do what you used to do. But Jesus, in his love, he called, he doesn't call them back. He said, you got the doctrine. You don't have to look at your doctrine certificate. You just need to look at me. You see, look at Jesus. That'll keep you from being a Pharisee. That'll keep you from being legalistic. So they didn't get off track because they forgot to look at the doctrine, the doctrine certificate. They got off track because they forgot to look at the one who spoke the doctrine. <laughs> and I'm not going to re-preach last week, but remember the debt analogy. You know, I call this a maintenance message. Remember the debt analogy. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. There's no way you can ever fit into that. Well, I deserve to be forgiven. No way. So there's no way that you can look at a situation and say, I just can't forgive it. I can't work on that relationship because, you know, it's just too much. What you did, what your sins did to Jesus was too much. And if you keep that in mind, that's what leads to being a spiritual person. And you lock these two verses together. There's others you could put in there as a side note, but Ephesians 4 and Matthew 18. Lock those together. That's the dead analogy where Jesus gives the example out of his own mouth of the man who owed $50 million. The king forgave him, and then he went out and put his hands on a chokehold on the guy who owed him $50 or maybe $5. And it says that that man was put, that did that was put back in jail by the king, and he was in torment. See? And how many of God's children are in torment today because they don't know how to process forgiveness? And in child of grace, if we lose sight of this in the church of God, then we lose what we have. <laughs> so we gonna pull, we're going to pull out that doctrine certificate and look at it very often. But we're also going to pull out the works of our first love, too. That's where the fellowship comes in. So the question was, if you see that you don't deserve to be forgiven, as Ephesians 4 says... And you see the pattern that's laid down of what God did for you, the forgiveness, the debt that he forgave you, like the $50 million debt of the man. The question is, have you absorbed the loss? Remember, the king absorbed the loss of the, of the debt, right? Nobody paid the $50 million back. The king and his treasury absorbed the loss. And so you absorb the loss 
that comes to you as a result of offenses. And then the question is, have you absorbed the loss of the signs that you're tormented? Again, just to reiterate this so we can move on to the next part of the message. If you have, these are signs you have not absorbed the loss. When you look at that person, what do you think about them? Do you think about the offense? Ooh, boy, I, mm, somebody needs to get them back or set them straight. <laughs> you haven't absorbed the loss. If you make cutting or biting remarks, if you drag up the past offenses, if you are demanding or controlling, and if you are irritable, or if you purposefully avoid or withdraw from someone, then you have not absorbed the loss. And guess what? I hate to tell you, but you're not a disciple. You're not spiritual. That's the easy path. It's easy to look at them and think about the offense, to make cutting and biting remarks, to drag up the past, to be demanding and controlling, to be irritable, and to purposefully avoid someone and withdraw from someone, that is non-spiritual activity. So what do you do? You want to be around them more, not less. Fake it till you make it. The goal is to wash out the sin, to wash out the offense from you. It does not mean that you don't go to them and talk to them and visit with them, but it's talking about your personal dealing with that offense, with that issue. And by the way, you're going to be offended. You're going to have issues. That's just the way it is in God's kingdom. Because <laughs> you know why? Because God's kingdom is filled with people like me <laughs> who are offenders and sinners. It's going to happen. And if you don't know how to process it, we wind up like Ephesus. See? We leave our first love. Remember what I told you. There's no Judases here. As I said last week, and I reiterate, if you think you know a Judas, then you are, you, you are commanded by God to come and talk to me because God's called me to be the under-shepherd, not you. <laughs> you understand? You think there's a Judas who's a betrayer and an evil, wicked man like Judas? You are compelled by the Holy Spirit to talk to the one who God has called to stand over the flock and move amongst the flock. You say, well, Brother Tim, I just want to bother you. You better bother me with that. <laughs> You say, well, you just got so much going on. Nothing's more important than you. Nothing is more important in my life than the church of God. Okay? There's no Judases here. So once you've washed it out and once you have absorbed the loss and you've processed it, then the question is, you've forgiven privately. Now the question is, do I go and do I talk to them? And that's kind of where we left off last week. And the first question was, can you cover it? Proverbs 10 and 12 says, love covers all sins, not just one or two, but all. Can you cover it? Is it that big of a deal? And if Jesus is your best friend, I'm telling you, you can do it. You can cover it, but if you can't let it go, and, and this happens, it's happened with me. You say, well, you're an inferior type Christian if you can't let it go. No, that's not the point. The point is if it just won't leave you alone, if it just keeps coming back, but you've absorbed the loss, then that's when you know if you go or not. Somebody says, you know, well, I can go over anything but this. That is a pharisaical and a legalistic approach. I'm glad Jesus didn't say that. Well, I can go to the cross for anything that Tim did against me but this. <laughs> praise God he didn't do that for me. And praise God we don't do that with each other. The best measuring rod of spiritual maturity is the degree in which we are able to cover our sins. The sins of others, excuse me. And we would never go to someone and, and talk with them until we have forgiven them privately. Because see, when you go and talk to them after you've forgiven them privately and absorbed the loss, you're no longer working on the forgiveness. You've forgiven, but you're working on the relationship. I tell you, this is one of the most important messages. I, there might be a marriage today or in the future, somebody that's married. This might save their marriage one day. It might save your marriage. It may save a friendship. It may say, hey, it could save a church. God, help us to, to save the church of God. 
See? So once you have forgiven and absorbed the loss privately, then you go to them if you just can't if you just can't live with it, go to them. And you know, there can be different degrees of this. You know, it may be something you saw somebody do out in public and it's just bothering you and bothering you and bothering you. You forgive them privately. You say, I, I need, and then, see, then at that point, you're not going really for you. You get that? You're going to help them. You see? Because you've forgiven and you can handle it and you can deal with it, but you want to go and talk to them and deal with them in a way that honors God. And remember, Matthew 5 and 22 says, if you are the offender, if you're the one that realizes you offended and you go to the altar to worship and you see there that you, oh my goodness, I forgot, there's an offense I did. You'll never be able to worship God in the way that you should with that offense hanging in your mind, you see. So the idea, as I've told you before, Matthew 18, is the person who's been offended and has absorbed the loss and is going to talk to that person. And here's the person in Matthew 5 who realizes, oh, no, I offended so-and-so. And so it's like they meet halfway. If, if, if both parties are listening to the Spirit of God, you see, the offender gets up and says, I forgot, I offended so-and-so. They take off. And the person who was offended and has absorbed the loss, I'm going to go talk to them about it to help them. <laughs> And they meet halfway. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's the way it works in a perfect world. Sadly, we don't live in a perfect world. So if you're going to go, Matthew 18 says, if a brother, uh, in Matthew 18, let's read it. I don't want to misquote it. In Matthew 18, which is our one of our key verses, he says in verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. <laughs> so what is a spiritual person? A spiritual person is going to be a person who will go following the letter of what that says right there. If a brother or sister trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Boy, that cuts out a lot of Facebook posts, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, that is just, I, I could go off on that tangent for the rest of the message. People just get on there and rant and rave and pour out their emotions and their feelings. And it's especially, I mean, in any situation, that's not appropriate. But especially if you're dealing with somebody that you go to church with. (laughs) So-and-so didn't speak at me at church on Sunday and I'm posting it all over the world wide web. Let everybody know. (laughs) Or even things that are even ten times or a thousand times worse than that. Go to that person in the spirit that should they should go to them in. Now look. Matthew 18, 15 says, go and tell him his fault between thee and thee alone. This is what a spiritual person does. This is not the easy path. This is not easy. I, I speak of experience. It's, it's not an easy thing to do this, but the Lord's worthy of whatever we have to lay down for him. Now look, let's look at Galatians 6, which we're, where we'll spend the remainder of our time. When you go, this is the spirit in which a person must go in, in order to accomplish what God intended for you to accomplish, that's the spirit that it must you must go in. Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be over, or a woman or child, be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So this is the, what is a spiritual person? A spiritual person is one who can understand the importance of what is before them. It's more than just the fact that you've been offended or this bothered you or this hurt you. It has more to do with the kingdom of God and peace in the kingdom of God than anything. Those are the words of Jesus over there in Matthew 18, right? And he says, if you go, you're not ready to go unless you're spiritual. You remember things that are not spiritual? Irritable, uh, angry, upset, 
All of these different things that we've already been over. That's not a spiritual mindset. So don't go until you have a spiritual mindset. You say, well, Brother Tim, I'm having trouble getting there. Talk to me. Talk to me about it. God's called me to assist in whatever scenario comes up in your life. Talk to me. What am I here for? If it's not to direct God's children in the spirit of, of being spiritual. See? Now, the word spiritual defined means, I love this, non-carnal and here's a word that, that you'll, some of you go home and look up, ethereal. There's actually a song in one of our songbooks that speaks of ethereal. <laughs> That's a word we don't use much anymore. But I like the word, ethereal means heavenly or refined or pure. It means supernatural. You want to be supernatural beyond nature? Then go in the spirit that is intended here. The ethereal or non-carnal spirit. So let's ask ourselves, am I a spiritual person? Here's some indications. Romans 7, 14. I'm going to run through these. You can turn there if you want to, if you can flip quickly, or if you can punch your finger quickly, whatever you're using. So Romans 7 and 14. This is about the question, am I spiritual? Romans 7, 14. If you recognize your capacity for carnality, for fleshliness, if you recognize your capacity for sin, then that's an indication that you're a spiritual person. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. <laughs> now somebody would say, well, that's a good psychological study, case study right there with the Apostle Paul. It is. Break that down and look at it carefully. Paul is saying, I recognize that God's law is spiritual. But I, the, the law reflects to me that I am carnal. There's actually people that think that they, they will gain some type of reward or favor with God, you know, because I keep every letter of the law. Well, thinking that you keep every letter of the law, it makes you carnal, see? That's what Paul describes here. He says, there was a time when I thought my spirituality was tied to just keeping the law. And yes, keep the law. Do Follow the Ten Commandments. That's, that is something that is good for our life. But it's not something that yields salvation. And it's not something that gives us a higher mentality or favor with God. You see? Because when you look at the law and you see it's spiritual and you see what you are by the, by the Spirit of God, you know you can never live up to the law. That's the difference between the publican and the Pharisee, remember? Now keep the law by all means, but don't think that's the way that you gain favor with God. The way you have gained favor with God is because Jesus kept the law. You see that? So am I spiritual? Do you recognize that you are prone to be carnal or sinful? The next question, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Can I understand spiritual things? Can I understand spiritual things? You know, it says the, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, are you listening? He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You know what I think that means? I think that means that when you're trying to be godly and you're trying to be spiritual, you know, you don't have a lot of fingers being pointed at you, you know? I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to, point the finger, you know, I like what Brother Lonnie Mazingo said, you know, if, if you see yourself as a rug and people step on you, then what's the big deal? <laughs> you know, it's hard to point the finger at the rug. You know, it's hard to point the finger at somebody that's meek and kind and only trying to serve you. It's very hard to do that. So if you're being spiritual, there's very little opportunity of being judged by others other than just to say, hey, that's a spiritual person. That's a godly person. You see? Now, I like this one in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, 
a spiritual man will acknowledge that what I'm telling you, what I'm directing you in the Word of God is accurate and it is correct. First uh, Corinthians 14. Now I know the context here. First Corinthians 14 has to do with the worship service mostly and what was going on in the worship service. They were doing some kind of crazy things in the worship service at Corinth. But notice what Paul says. First Corinthians 13, uh, 14, and we look at verse um, 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, if you think you're spiritual, let them acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. (laughs) If you're spiritual, you will acknowledge that this is the path that God has in the, in the word of God. That this, even though it's the hard path, it's the right path. And things that are right are not always easy, right? It's the right path. Now this is really important. First Corinthians two and First uh, Peter two and five. If we are spiritual in our mindset, First Corinthians, uh, First I'm sorry, First Peter two and five. Listen to what he says, and it's speaking directly to the house of God. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, the word of uh, the church of God is a spiritual house. You get that. So if you're spiritual minded, you're going to see that the house of God, the church of God is a spiritual place. And all of whatever you have to do and sacrifice for discipleship is absolutely worth it. So the spiritual person is one who absolutely will acknowledge that what the word of God teaches about this is correct. It is one that will recognize their capacity for carnality and they can understand, they can understand spiritual things. So back to Galatians, the sixth chapter, that person goes and in the spirit in which they must go, they must be spiritual. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, and the goal is to restore. Notice verse six has a goal to restore, to repair, to mend. The word comes from a word that means fresh, like fresh bread or fresh milk. (laughs) Sister Tracy, she cannot tolerate even getting close to the date of the milk being, you know, out of date. She wants it fresh. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's why they put the, the date on there. Now, me personally, I'll smell of it. And if it's a week old, I'll still drink it. <laughs> I'm not very fresh, you know. But the idea here is it's like fresh bread. It's just got that different feel. You're trying to keep the freshness of the relationship. You get that? To keep it fresh. That's what restore means. The goal is to restore. To keep it fresh. He says you're to go in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, humility, And listen, various situations call for various applications of of severity or lack of severity. You know, think about it. Somebody who's about to fall off a cliff, you know, you're going to run up, just grab them as quick as you can and pull them back. But if somebody's standing over there thinking, you know, I I think I'm fixing to go fall off that cliff and they're 100 yards away, it might be a little different approach. Now, listen, don't be thinking about that now. You know, you can fall off that cliff, you're going to (laughs) die. That's a different approach. You may have to grab, you know, shake somebody. You got, you say, how do I know the difference? You got to have wisdom. You gotta be a disciple. You gotta be spiritual minded to know the difference. <laughs> you say, well, how do I do that? The next part of the verse. You which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You must consider yourself. The word consider is the Greek word skopeo, which means to spy. That's where we get the word spy. You say, yeah, I like to spy on other people. I'm not talking about spying on other people. We're talking about spying on yourself. <laughs> Uh, throughout the years, the kids and I have enjoyed from time to time. We go out, we have gone out on the farm and we've, sometimes at night, <laughs> we've played spy. You know, we've gone and we've snuck around the farm and 
eat in the daytime and at nighttime. And, you know, we, we'd sneak here, sneak there in the dark, have flashlights. It's a lot of fun. We're spying. We're looking around. Y'all may say, well, don't ever come to my house and do that. We won't, but we, we like, it's, it's spying. It's going out and sneaking around. Well, sneak around yourself. Don't be afraid to turn over the stones in your own life before you go turning over the stones in other people's lives. You see? And let me say this. Pride can never accomplish that. You can never be prideful and actually be able to look at yourself and say, well, you know, I've got issues too. Pride will never allow you to do that. Think about it. You must consider yourself. Anger will never accomplish the things like that. So then the question is, are you prepared? Are you spiritual? Do you see the need for this type of approach in the spiritual house of God among God's people? Then it may be time to go. But when you go, you must be prepared for three sides. (laughs) There's going to be your side. There's going to be their side. And there's going to be the truth somewhere in the middle there. (laughs) That's almost without exception. Almost without exception. There's your side. There's their side. And then there's when you come together, there's the truth. James 5 and 9 speaks directly to this, and it has more to do with the posture in which you go. You say, Brother Tim, can the Word of God actually say something to me about how my body language is supposed to be when I go, yes, the, the, the Word of God. You thought Brother Tim was invasive into your life, but the Word of God is very, it's really the Word of God. It's really not me. It's the Word of God. It's invasive. <laughs> James 5, and I want you to look at verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And by the way, that judge is not you. (laughs) That's God. People that go around judging and saying this and saying that, you know, they sit as a judge, but they won't do anything about the situation. God is well equipped to be the judge of any situation. Y'all hear me? So we as disciples of Christ, spiritual people, we must, we are compelled by our master to go and to deal with these things. But when we go, we don't want to grudge. The word grudge, it, it has the, the root word, it comes from uh, what we would view as body language. It can give you the appearance of someone rolling their eyes or standing, you know, you come and talk to me about what? <laughs> Y'all ever done that? You know, maybe it's mom and dad talking to child, you know. You're going to tell me to clean my room again? Yeah, because you've never done it. (laughs) It's body posture. It's even, you know, and and think about how you go. When you go, you go in there, you know, with that. I mean, you could look in somebody's face and tell them, almost tell them they're arrogant, you know. And you go in there with with flames in your eyes, you know, bolts shooting out of your eyes. I'm here to talk to you about what you did. (laughs) Or even the body posture of rolling their eyes. You know, yeah, I need to talk to you about something that happened. Okay. You know, even rolling your eyes, the body language, that's grudging is what that is. Now, I want you to think about this. Even your body language matters when you go in a situation like this. The purpose in that kind of body language is to send the clear message that I really don't want to be here, you know. But, you know, Bible says I got to do this. Matthew 18, 15, Ephesians 4. Okay, let's get this thing worked out. That's not good body language, is it? You know, to sigh or to moan. Okay, I'm, I'm here to talk to you. And the person you're going to talk to about it, they go, okay. <laughs> That's body language. That's really more of a sound. But you understand rolling the eyes, standing with the posture, you know, with a hand on the hip and, you know, sort of looking around, won't look you in the eye. 
Oh, parents, that's a big one right there, isn't it, for the children? <laughs> you know, I can remember when our children, you know, they wouldn't look you in the eye. And sometimes you just have to take their little head and go, look at me. <laughs> and then you could tell they're looking right through you, you know. I may be looking at you, but I'm looking through you. <laughs> looking somebody in the eye is so important. Body posture can send a, a loud message very quickly. Remember Abigail and David? Whenever David was going to destroy Nabal's house, what was the posture of Abigail? She got off of that donkey and she hit the ground down on his on her face before him. Um, that was a very appealing posture. What if she had jumped down and said, don't you come mess with my house? I don't think she would have gotten anywhere. Do y'all? There was a great offense. By the way, that was an offense that her husband had caused. And she went and dealt with it in a, in a manly way, in a godly way, in a virtuous way with David. And remember when you go, going with a spiritual mindset, not with a body language that's going to offend. And the first thing that you do, you say, here it comes. I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the lowdown on them, right? The first thing that you do is you ask forgiveness yourself. I'm sorry to have to come and talk to you about this. You know, I pray that I'll be spiritual in the way that I talk to you about this. You know, forgive me, please. I'm sure that I have offended you in different ways, but I need to talk to you about this. You make the apology the first at the first one you go. Sorry to have to deal with this, but I love the Lord enough to where I'm willing to deal with this. You see? And it's not this, especially for the, this is more on the offender's line, but the offender says, well, you know, I'm sorry if, if I've ever done anything wrong to you in all of my life. <laughs> you know, or I'm, I'm really sorry that, you know, that your body was in my path, you know, when I pushed you down. <laughs> I'm sorry that your nose was in front of my fist when I punched you in the nose. I mean, I'm really sorry about that. That's not how it works. No sarcasm and no not being overly dramatic, but presenting the concerns in a clear and concrete way. I need to talk to you about this. This is what happened specifically. It's not, you know, <laughs> you just don't like this person. You just go to them and you say, well, you know, I'm here to talk to you. What is it? I just don't like you, you know. You, you just kind of rub me the wrong way. And I don't know what it is, but I just can't stand you. That's not it. You know, that's a problem you have within yourself if you don't know how to get along with other of God's people and be all things to all men. No, it is. Here's the problem. This is what happened. This issue occurred. Be very concrete. It's not, well, you know, I just really don't like you and a bunch of things have happened. Well, what? I can't really remember, but, you know, it's just I just don't like you. Here's we close. I got to close. Oh, my goodness, I got to close. Y'all didn't tell me it was 1201. Good gracious. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all going to make me give you some time back, aren't you? Sorry, I only do that one time a year. <laughs> Why is this important? <laughs> Why? Why is this important? Why does it matter that we take the easy path and, and be non-spiritual and non-disciple-like and don't address issues? Why is it important? Because this is the church of God. <laughs> Why is it a big deal? We don't want to be like Ephesus. This is not a mega church. You understand that? Jesus set the disciples down by fifties and by hundreds. You remember that? There's a reason that he did that. Because he wanted them to experience interpersonal relations and communication and fellowship with one another on that kind of level. And by the way, side note, in the mega churches, people are broken out by fifties and hundreds. Did you know that? It's kind of ironic, isn't it? This is the church of God. The Lord, we're not a mega church. And the church is the last and most precious place of love on the planet. The fellowship of the saints is the key to the church of God. And us looking at each other and say, well, you know, I'm just done with him. Or I'm done with her. Or I'm done with them. That's not an option for the child of God. 
It's not an option. That's not the disciples' way. That's not the spiritual way. It's not the way that Jesus went. Praise God, Jesus didn't look at you. Speaking of body posture, you know, in your sins, Jesus could look at you and roll his eyes at you for eternity. You get it? He goes, oh, he did that. Oh, he did that. Oh, he could spend his eternity rolling his eyes at you. But you know why he doesn't? Because he absorbed the loss of your sins on the cross and he can look at you and smile for all of eternity. And that's how we ought to be looking at each other. My goodness, I was going to get to the Christ and Judas scenario. And I was going to get to the Christ and Peter scenario. But I'm out of time. So I'm going to leave you with this. And I know he won't mind me sharing this. Because he and I have talked about it many times. About 15 years ago, before Brother Chris became a primitive Baptist preacher and pastor of the church up there. Brother Chris and I, we weren't really seeing eye to eye on, on primitive Baptist things, you know. He was not real happy with me that I'd gone off and joined the Primitive Baptist Church. And and then, uh, lo and behold, they were going to a little church out in Columbus, the Sovereign Grace Church. And Brother Chris told me, he said, Sherry's joining the church. Praise God, she'd come to see the truth. <laughs> I, I was happy that she'd come to see the truth. But in my heart, I was like, I wish she would come to Bethlehem. I'd love to baptize her, you know. So I prayed and I thought, well, should I say anything to him about that? Oh, he's my brother. I can say anything to him, you know. Uh-uh. <laughs> Don't just think that. You can hurt your brother or your sister's feeling just as easy as you can anybody, right? So anyway, I took Brother Chris to lunch. This is years ago. And we sat across the table. We were visiting, talking about, you know, prosecutor stuff, this, that, or the other. And I said, look, I want to talk to you about something. Just me and him. And he got so mad at me. I said, you ever thought about maybe y'all coming and visit Bethlehem for a little while? And, you know, that's my brother. I can say anything to him. He got so mad at me. It was inappropriate for me to have brought that out. It just wasn't the time. It wasn't the place. He wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And he, we're sitting there at the table. And he's just, and I've seen that look on him before when we were in the chicken house and we'd wrestle. I thought we were fixing to wrestle right there, you know, at the restaurant. <laughs> we didn't wrestle. He had his teeth gritted at me. He said, who do you think you are, you old primitive Baptist, you know? Thinking we'd come over there. And y'all know where Chris is today, right? <laughs> and I sat there, you know, and I was chewing some food. And part of me said, I'm fixing a scrap with him, you know. <laughs> but then another part of me just began to melt. And big alligator tears came into my eyes. And I dropped my head and I looked down. Tears began to fall out of my eyes and onto my plate. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never should have brought this up. It was wrong, inappropriate. Please forgive me. And I can see Brother Chris, he was sitting there with his teeth gritted. And he just, just melted. He melted. He said, I'm sorry too. I tell you what, that's a good brother in the flesh right there, isn't it? I would love for each and every one of you to have a brother like that. He is the best to me. But he just melted and he began to cry. And we're sitting there, to, I'm sure the restaurant folks thought we were crazy because we two grown men in our suits and ties just sitting there, you know. But I'm going to tell you, this, this is why I'm leaving this with you. This is why I want you to leave you with that impression right there, okay? I, I did wrong in my approach, but it's always recoverable. You see, God recovered it, right? It's the Spirit of God recovered that. And I'll say this, and Brother Chris might not agree with me, but I believe with all of my heart that that was the first seed that was planted for him to come to the Primitive Baptist Church. I believe that with all my heart. He might say, well, it was this or it was that. But in my heart, for me, that's the first seed right there. You want to know why he's in the church today? It's because of that little experience that he and I had at a restaurant about 15 years ago when I was not in the right spirit. He was not in the right spirit. But by the grace of God, we found the right spirit. <laughs> and let me tell you, child of grace, 
God is worthy of whatever you have to lay down to make this path happen in your life with your children, with your church members, with your co-workers, with your friends, but most importantly, for the church of God. I apologize for going over for a few minutes, but hopefully maybe if you're offended, you'll take Matthew 18 and you'll come talk to me about it. Okay, and we'll work it out. Don't go yang yang at the supper at the dinner table. <laughs> Don't go have roast preacher. Come and roast me directly, and we'll work it out. I promise you. <laughs> if there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, we give you that opportunity uh, as we stand and sing.